lead with a lot of integrity. Integrity is my biggest core value. And that is something that I was so passionate about and making sure that my people were also people of integrity and holding themselves accountable to what they said they were gonna do. And so I was attracting the right people based off of integrity and accountability. And then my second biggest core value was family. I love my family inside and outside of the business. I want them to feel like that they are a part of our family here in EQ and you have a place where you belong. And I made sure that every student on my team made sure that they felt like they belonged somewhere. The voice you just heard is Kristen Alley, one of the brightest stars in a galaxy of amazing young leaders in the Cutco Vector Marketing Sales Organization. Now in just her second year as a district manager, Kristen and her team are already breaking records and competing at the highest levels nationally. Kristen's secret sauce is the way in which she authentically works and leads from her core values. This enables her to attract like-minded people on her team and creates a culture of belongingness. Kristen's team produced over $1 million in sales in 2020, just broke the company's record for new business in February, and will be a major factor in Vector's competitive arena for 2021 and years to come. I'm proud to introduce today one of the most impressive people I've met in a long time, Cutco Vector's Eastern Queens District Manager, Kristen Alley. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome, everyone. I am really excited today to have Kristen Alley as my guest. She is a rising superstar in the Cutco Vector Marketing Sales Organization. Kristen started with the company in 2015, just after graduating from high school. She was a 10K fast starter. Uh, She ran two branch offices while she was in college at NYU. She also became the pilot office manager with division manager David Kirkner in the New York City area in 2018. Kristen graduated from NYU in 2019 with a degree in applied psychology. She was the salutatorian of her graduating class. That tells you a little bit about her academic excellence and her work ethic. She spent about a year exploring corporate America, which we'll talk a little bit about today. And that resulted in her returning to Vector as a district manager. She started out her Eastern Queens organization at the beginning of 2020. And all she did was sell over $1 million in her first year as a district manager, virtually all what's called new business, a tremendous, amazing performance. And she is on fire so far here for 2021, just broke the company record for new business in the month of February. And as we are recording this today, was number one in the nation again this past week. Kristen Alley, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to have you here. Thank you very much for making the time. I want to hear a little bit about you. We don't know each other. We haven't met. And it's great to be able to connect in this way. And I would love to hear a little bit about your personal background before we get into Cutco. Absolutely. So... Born in the Bronx in New York City and moved to Long Island at the age of two with my parents. I am an only child from an immigrant family. My parents are from a small country in South America called Guyana. 
And they came here, raised me on the concept of hard work and commitment. <laughs> and they made sure that uh, everything academically that I was going to rise within my ranks academically, either in high school, college, like it was my main focus. Throughout my entire childhood, I was a dancer. I loved to dance. I also started boxing at an early age. So that's, I think that's where my fighting spirit comes from is simply just like being a boxer my entire life. Super passionate about theater, love the musicals, <laughs> love acting. I did all of that stuff in high school. And uh, when I graduated from high school, I had about 12 honor cords around my neck. And I decided to embark on my journey to NYU in Manhattan where I got a full academic scholarship. So I didn't pay for school, thank God. Uh, by the grace of God, I didn't have anything to worry about. All I did was pay for room and board and some meal plans and food every once in a while. And I studied applied psychology there, which was really exciting. I got my bachelor's degree in 2019. And obviously now we're thriving here at Ketka. Yeah. So cool to hear some of that stuff, uh, Kristen. I, I like the... Uh immigrant parent background. We share that, just that FYI. Both of my parents came here from Europe. And uh, my dad was born in Italy, born and raised in Italy. My mom was born and raised in France. And, you know, they had that same sort of, you got to get your academics, you know, high type of standard for me. I don't know what it is about hardworking immigrant parents wanting their kids to get that education. But, you know, it's obviously they didn't have the chance to get the kind of education that I had the chance to get. So it was a it was a big deal for them. Is that did your parents exhibit that same kind of demanding expectation for you? Hundred uh, percent, such high standards that I almost felt like I was failing them if I let them down in any way, shape, or form. So my dad's also a business owner, so he came here with zero dollars, nothing, and started a business from scratch. Rose to the ranks in his company, like now is the CEO of his own organization. So when I was growing up. He always told me that he took all the risks so that I wouldn't have to, which was a good or a bad thing in my opinion. Cause yes, I had safety and security, but he wanted me to have like a very safe path of like, you know, career wise, uh, you know, academic wise, just like super safe. And, uh, we butt heads a little bit because I wasn't that safe. I was a risk taker and I wanted to do things that I think were not in alignment with his standards of what I should have been. But that's uh, my parents are the most loving, amazing human beings in the world, and they just grinded till they made it to where they are. So I took that, and it's been a part of my life ever since. Yeah, great to hear some of the commonalities that uh, that resonate for me that you that you describe right there about uh, about your parents and and the fighting spirit. Are you known for the fighting spirit, Kristen? I think so. When I got promoted, Earl and David. Kirkner and Earl Kelly both said the same thing uh, on stage. They said, Kristen is a fighter. And I have it recorded. Uh, same thing. Al DiLeonardo said it once in a recording or a meeting that we had. And so it's been a kind of a reputation moving forward of the fighting spirit. <laughs> I like it. It's uh, That's a good reputation to have for sure. So how did you end up uh, working with Cutco? So in 2015, when I graduated high school, I got a letter in the mail. And I was applying for all different types of jobs, normal high school jobs like Applebee's, Forever 21. And no one was getting back to me. And I got this letter and I was like, wow, this seems interesting. And I ended up uh, coming to an interview and like most people fell in love with a really great opportunity right in front of me. I was only anticipating working, Dan, for like seven to eight weeks, maybe before I started school, like uh, back to the whole immigrant parent thing. They were like, you can't work around school. Like, you got to make sure you go to school, get your education. And I said, well, this is a different type of job. I don't think this is the type of job you were expecting me to have, but this is the one that I want. And I could really see it taking me very far in life. And I was with Cutco and Vector for four to five years before moving forward, you know, and I ran two branch offices between my freshman and sophomore year and my sophomore and junior year. And then after my junior year, right before I started my senior year, I became the PSM for David Kirkner in Long Island. And yeah. at that point in my career, I thought it was going to be my last summer at Cutco. And when I started my senior year, I was going to explore some other options to see what else was out there because David did a really great job. He built my resume really big. He said, maybe it's time for you to, you know, well, I, I said, maybe it's time for me to explore some other options and see what else is out there because this is my very first job. I've never had another one. So I didn't have anything to compare it to. Right. Right. Tell us about some of the experiences that you had as a rep or a branch manager. What were some of the times that stand out? Oh, wow. There's so many. <laughs> All of my favorite moments just come from 
the people in my my circle of influence, the people who have impacted me. Like oftentimes I, I meet people at school and I, I'm not really that connected with them. And I see people at Cutco and Vector coming to my wedding one day or celebrating me on the biggest moments of my life. So some moments that stand out to me, honestly, winning my first trophy on stage because I was a very uh, shy kid. So having to say my sales report for the very first time, I have this like very clear, distinct memory of saying like, I sold $10,000 in 10 days, like on stage. That was super nerve wracking for me because it was at an SC2 conference. So it wasn't just like my division. It was like our region showing up. And that was my first conference ever. So that was one of the biggest deals for me. And I think uh, the summer of 2017 winning number one branch because I remember being on stage with like 20 branches and they were counting down slowly. And it was between me and one other person. And they said like, is this person between this or that? And they stepped forward. And I just took a step back and I let tears roll down my eyes because I was fighting all summer for it. And then I just remember New York City Division rushing up and they put me on their shoulders. And I just, I closed my eyes and I felt like I was in the clouds. Like I such a clear, distinct memory for me. And it was so pivotal in my belief that I could be a great leader. Like it took three years for me to get to that point. But like at that point, on top of like my friends' shoulders, my fellow managers, I was like, all right, maybe, maybe I can do this. Maybe this is the place for me. That's so great. Once again, I'm struck by some of the parallels uh, in your story that really resonate for me personally. I can remember winning my first ever push trophy. I didn't sell 10,000. I sold 3,130 for a push period. It was in December, by the way. It was a, it was a end of the year sort of Christmas meeting push. And I came in second in the division. It was a division meeting. I came in second. And the uh, the lady that what came in first was one of the sort of CSP veteran, you know, what would be the precursor to CSPs of today. She was a career sales rep, and she sold like seventy five hundred. And I was this hotshot young kid that just you know had a thirty one hundred dollar push. And she kind of leans over to me and she goes, "You know what? I made more than you sold." <laughs> <laughs> Straight half, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Hilarious. Yeah. So that was funny. So, and then, uh, you know, likewise, uh, can share the experience of branch success as being really meaningful to me. And, and for me, I didn't win the push as a branch, but I came in second when I wasn't expected to, we sort of really stunk the first push of the summer. And then, um, when the second push came along, I think all the other branches were looking at me like, when are you going to step down? And I ended up, you know, staying up on stage longer than all, but one of them and had that same feeling that you're describing of like accomplishing something great. It's so cool to have those feelings as a 19-year-old in this business. And I like that those are times that stand out. What do you feel were the most valuable lessons that you learned in those, those early years with Cutco? Something that I lived by and still live by to this day was if your goals don't scare you, they're just not big enough to grow or change you. So I never settled for like a small goal. Like I heard the average numbers. I heard what someone was supposed to do. And in my mind, I was like, well, I got to stay above the average line and I need to be above average. So I remember thinking I have to keep thinking big. Like I have to have a large goal that I'm going after that if there is no feeling of nervousness, if there is no feeling of anxiety of can I hit this goal, then it is simply not big enough because then it's not growing me. It's not changing me. It's not forcing me to level up. And that's what I wanted. That that was why I started working was because I wanted an experience that was going to force me to level up. And having a large goal really helped me do that. Something else that really helped a ton was... like I learned very, very quickly that culture eats strategy for breakfast. Like loving your people. Like I don't know if you could tell, but I love planning. Like I so many spreadsheets, so many numbers. And that plan always without fail breaks down. Like <laughs> it breaks down without fail. Like there's a plan A, B, C, D, all the way to Z. And normally all of them fail. Like there is no right answer to anything. So I learned very quickly at like 18, 19, 20 years old that if you have strong relationships with people, your culture will kick your strategies, but yes, indeed. Well, that's definitely something that I want to explore a whole lot more with you today is, is to hear about how you are establishing culture in your brand new office because there's you know going to be a lot of people listening who are going to be new managers in Cutco Vector and want to do what you've done. And uh, that's definitely something we can we can uh, dig into a whole lot more as we go along today. I like what you said about how your goals should scare you. I can remember when I was 
training for my first branch summer and a guy that had branched and been successful the year before said he was giving some tips to new managers. And he said, if I'm not scared, I'm stupid. And he was talking about being scared from two different contexts. One is to really be scared into preparing to the highest level. And the other was, right, respecting the numbers and like having big goals and respecting what it takes to do them. And those were all lessons that resonated for me early on. And, um, and I just like that you have this mindset about setting goals that are challenging and that, you know, give you that, that real drive to prepare to work hard, to be able to achieve them as well. Good stuff. So you worked as a pilot manager then with Dave Kirkner for, um, the, uh, year of 2018 or the summer of 2018, and then graduated from NYU in 2019 great credentials. You decided to explore corporate America. How'd that turn out? Well, I'm here, so not so well, <laughs> but it was okay. So when I graduated, I the grass is greener, not on the other side, but where you water it. So I started looking for all types of positions in marketing and sales. Like I was just like, I love business. I don't want to be a psychologist. I know I want to be an entrepreneur. Like let me explore this field a little bit and see what other companies are doing or what other organizations are teaching. And I knew that I was well-trained, so that I was going to succeed in any company that had that type of environment. But what was hard was when I was interviewing, I was looking for vector in places that just were not vector. You know, I was asking questions like, so what are your incentives? And, you know, like, where, where do you guys travel each year? And most of them didn't have an answer for me. And I remember thinking to myself, like, am I interviewing you or are you interviewing me? In this moment, and the top like fifteen that I picked out, I applied for all of them, and I got every single job. So it wasn't like I had to go to a different. I had a choice. Like I was like, which one do I want? And I ended up at a corporation in staffing and recruiting, and I ended up being a recruiter in corporate America for about six, seven, eight months. I would say for uh, for two and a half campaigns with them, and I did extremely well. You know, like the job itself wasn't the logistics behind it. I succeeded at a very high level, but it wasn't something I was passionate about in that organization simply because I did not appreciate the culture. And mm. I love people. And I think every vector manager loves people. Uh, it's very hard not to in a very people oriented business. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I'm listening to my manager, my direct manager talk at a pipe meeting in the morning or like a staff meeting. And I'm thinking, I can run this meeting better than you. And I'm the youngest person in the room. There's people that are in their 30s, mid 20s, high 20s. Like, I feel like I can run this meeting better than you. And I felt like I wasn't learning or growing. And honestly, I felt like a number. I felt like a number, like all I was to them was a sales quota. And we say it so often in Vector that like here, you're not just a number. And I didn't believe it when I left. Like I thought like, oh, everyone just says that. And then I went out there and I did it. And yes, I was simply just a number. Um, and I had never quit anything before. So this was probably a very defining moment for me where I, I, I'd never quit anything a day in my life. And I remember I walked into her office and I said, I need to leave. And she goes, what? you want to leave? I was like, I need to leave. I'm not very happy here. And she goes, go take a walk. I took a walk. I came back. There's like five people in the office. <laughs> She's like, she gathers like all the troops. And I go, I cannot stay in the corporation anymore. I need to leave. And I picked up my stuff in shame with my tail between my legs. And I walked to Penn Station. And I cried for three hours because I know I was coming home to a family that was extremely proud that I was working the safe job. And I was in tears. So I didn't go home right away. I actually called David, to be honest. And he goes, are you okay? I was like, no, I'm not okay. He was like, you should go home. And I, and, and I was like, yeah, I do want to come home. And he goes, which one? And I go, the vector home. Can I come to the office? I took a train straight to Levittown. I went straight to the office. Like I didn't go to my house. Wow. Levittown. And I sat there for another three hours. So this is six hours now, cumulatively, that I'm in tears. And I'm sitting with David. He's like, you need to go home and tell them what happened. And I did. And two months later, I was promoted to be a district manager. Wow. <laughs> what a story. What a story. What happened in those two months? Like, what was, the, what was the process that led you from leaving that job to deciding to come back and, and then opening your, your new team? This happened probably in October of 2019. 
And I told my mom and I told my dad and I said, please try to be understanding. And they were a little angry at first. And they said, are you sure? You know, they always supported my choices. They believe in me, but there was a lot of questioning of, are you sure? And they were like, well, what are you going to do instead? And honestly, the only thing I wanted to say out loud was I want to be a district manager. I didn't say that in the moment, but that's all I wanted to say. And I said, honestly, I think, uh, you know, I'm going to talk to David and see what, what's going on and see what's, uh, see if there's anything available right now. And in my mind, I was like, I know he would promote me in a heartbeat. Like if, like I knew, so it took about a day or two for me to get the courage to say, all right, I'm going to be a district manager, mom and dad, and you're just going to have to get on board with it. And immediately, like within the month, I started crafting where my office was going to be, what my team was going to look like. I started visiting people in the Northeast region, uh, which is where I'm from, and just like visiting offices to see what was working. Because I'd been out of the business for a year and a half. So I had to relearn a lot of things that weren't making sense to me anymore. Um, and, and it was a hard transition coming back. And when I did, uh, and I opened, I didn't get off to a great start, but I had to figure it out and lead myself through change which is, I think, more valuable than having an easy start. Yeah, for sure. And, and not only did you have challenges of starting, the normal challenges of starting, but then you know, we had this little pandemic that kind of came along a couple months after that. And what was your experience in going through the early, early stages of that? It was double whammy for me because I... Rec- so when I opened up my office, my first training class was the big dance. Like I didn't have a fall. It was the big dance. And I recruited 135 people to this big dance, rented a hotel room. My office was a box in New York City, couldn't afford high rent. And 20 people showed up. Oh. And yep, heartbreaking. 20 people showed up. And for the month of January, I sold $27,000. And to put that into perspective, I sold that this week. So for the entire month, I sold 27 grand. And when you see people beating you, like your peers that are obviously kicking serious cutco butt it's heartbreaking you feel like a failure and then february i worked to rebuild which i did and then march came and we shut down again and there was a coronavirus and uh the rona like kind of like made me lose a little bit of momentum and i had to keep fighting to rebuild i rebuilt twice in less than 4 months so my office didn't get any momentum until maybe late April, I'm going to say. The first four months open were pretty hectic. Wow. So you actually, you got a physical office space in December to be able to, you know, get things going, right? Open up and you get started. You've got this devastating experience with your training class that was disappointing, I'm sure, even though you, at least you did have 20 you know, 20 people in training, whatever. It is. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, 27K January. I, I see your numbers, 33K in February, 13,000 in March. And then you did 36,000 in April, half of which was the last week of April. So it looks like the last week of April is where you really turned the corner and began building something great. So it was 110,000 in the spring campaign. I don't know how many offices that do 110,000 in the spring do a million for the year. It's not many. You know, you really turned it on. I mean, you did 173 grand in May. Wow. So incredible just momentum that just got suddenly built here in late April and throughout May. What do you feel like were some of the the factors that you'd attribute your your great success for the year to? I want to say having clarity in what I was building, but also not being afraid. I had to have my faith had to be stronger than my fear. You know, they say hope is stronger than fear, faith is stronger than fear. And I was so afraid from February to April that I had made the wrong choice, that I was going to be a failure at Cutco. Um, And that's the worst thing you could ever do to yourself is let those negative inner voices talk you out of something that you are so passionate about. Um, Because I was extremely passionate about being here, but the story I was telling myself was not good. So when the coronavirus hit, I was like, there is nothing else that could make this year any harder. Like if I could do this, I can do anything. And I just decided in April that I was going to flip a switch, that there was no like teetering on the edge of flipping, that I was just going to flip it, go straight up and turn it on. And I said, I don't care what happens, what obstacle, what adversity, whatever, punch me in the face, I'm going to get back up 
and I'm going to fight back swinging. I'm going to come and stand up and I'm going to swing back at you. And I decided in April that, you know, I had to go back to my basics. And what are the basics that recruiting is the answer, Rita? And I said, if I just have the right number of people in front of me, I can do anything. So I just put my head, I put my blinders on. I stopped paying attention to everyone because that was killing me. I was just like, I'm not going to look at any of the reports. I'm not, I'm going to put my blinders on and I'm going to create a goal and I'm going to recruit X amount of people for May, June, July. I can't even remember the number because I was just so like straight on about it. Like it, it, I, I decided to just work for it. And when I had the right people in front of me, that is when I was able to become more innovative and figure out how I was going to have the summer that I did. Wow. And so, uh, you know, recruiting obviously is the, typically is the, the, uh, first big spark that creates success uh, in an office. And, and, uh, I see also your recruiting numbers, your recruiting numbers are, they're big, but they're not like, they're not like overwhelmingly big. Like you, you launched 61 people during that month of May where you did over 170 grand and just started lighting it up. That is some amazing success on a per recruit basis, uh, right out of the gate as the summer started. How does that happen for you? Well, I ran all my offices on Long Island with a really great manager who was known for PPR. And moving to New York City, very different culture, very different territory. Uh, recruiting was high. Getting PPR, a little bit harder to do, in my opinion, in, in a very large territory like New York City. So I really had to balance out what I had learned about New York City and what I had known about Long Island and kind of bring them together because they are borderline. Queens and Long Island share a border. They are right there. And I knew that if I could take the strengths from both sides of my experiences and just bring them into one cohesive experience, that I can recruit a ton of people, but I can also develop them to have, I think at the time, the average PPR in New York City was just under a thousand to have 1500 2k PPR if I really fought for it. And I had to build strong relationships with people and really work with them and then duplicate them in recruiting, you know, which every office wants to do. But when you have so many numbers, like in New York City, you could do it times 10, you could do it times 20. Yeah. What, what were your key strategies for recruiting so successfully? Finding someone, a point person who is equally as passionate about recruiting that I was. You know, like I love recruiting. I think our title should be like district recruiters, not like district executives or district managers. Like we should just be district recruiters. And a lot of my success came from trusting that the one person who stuck with me for four months, by the way, everyone quit on me in March. And the only person that stuck around, his name is Mark and he's fantastic and he's amazing. I said, you and I are going to have a million dollar summer together. And I know that it seems like very bleak right now and not, uh, you know, optimistic, but we are going to turn this around. Uh, I said it with much more profanity, by the way, we're going to turn this around and we're going to work together. And I need you to, to understand what I am building and I need you to help me build it. And I trusted my people. And I put this one little kid, 17 years old, just graduated high school, like ready to go, uh, in charge of my PR program. And I said, this is what you need to do. I need you to focus on filling every interview. If you fill every interview for me and you focus on finding the right social media recruits, getting the right people to apply on the Google form, getting the best people who I've launched in the last month or two, their PRs through the door and you fill up every interview, I will train them and I will make them great. I will, I will develop them, but I need you to be my recruiter. And he accepted that mission head on. And his, he was so passionate that there was a point this summer where he was like, if I don't hit 200, I'm doing a bad job. PR set for the cycle, you know? And I really worked with him. I had, and by the way, all those PR numbers, they're not me. I know it looks like it's me, but it's not, it's, it's one person that I've trained and developed and worked with and have worked through to hit those recruiting numbers over the course of the summer. Wow. So you developed a key assistant who could really take charge of the PR program for you and drive the numbers to make sure you were getting, you know, upwards of 200 set per cycle. Yeah. And I made sure he understood my culture too. He needed to know what I was building and what I was about because people like people like themselves, we attract like attracts like. So I said, you need to like understand 
my core values, what we're building here, what like what is so special about EQ and the Eastern Queens office in order to attract people into our organization. And he did. He stepped it up. He stepped it up big. And without him, I don't think I would have the recruiting numbers that I had this summer or last summer. Yeah. Having a key right-hand person, it makes such a big difference in being able to spin all the plates to run a successful vector operation. So that key person that you had, Mark, I'm sure as you referenced, you wouldn't have been able to do the the kind of numbers without that. And it was, it was great that you were able to develop him and latch onto him and you know, uh, enroll him in your vision so that he was excited to stay and be a part of it. I think that uh, that says something about you and the, ins- the the level of inspiration that you brought to him, I'm sure. What do you feel like uh, is your secret sauce as a leader, Kristen? I lead with clarity and I lead with a lot of love. I am unapologetically authentic to myself. The way you and I are speaking right now, I'm going to speak that way to my training class. I'm going to speak that way in an interview. I'm going to speak that way in a PDI call, a PC with a new rep or an experienced rep or a COC. I'm going to be myself no matter what. And you like it or you don't like it. And if you like it, great. We'll hang out. We'll be friends. I love you. Like, amazing. If not, then no problem. You know, like, best of luck moving forward. But for me, I, I needed people to know wh- why was I authentic? What does that mean? Like, how are you authentic? What are you about? And I made sure that I didn't just talk about the core values that I have, but that I live them. You know, my core values aren't a noun. It's not a person, place, or thing. It's an adjective. It's moving. It's constantly moving. It's something that I practice daily. And me being able to speak about those things on a daily basis really had people bought into what we were building. So my core values, what are they? I lead with a lot of integrity. Integrity is my biggest core value. Everything I do is based off of integrity. Do I do what I say that I was going to do when no one else is looking? Yeah, when the door shuts and no one is looking in my direction, am I still the same person that I am preaching to the choir every single day that I am? You know, and and that is something that I was so passionate about and making sure that my people were also people of integrity and holding themselves accountable to what they said they were going to do. You know, and if something didn't get done properly, it's okay to make mistakes, but if you did it out of laziness, that is not aligning with my core value. And those people quickly could not last in my organization. And so I was attracting the right people based off of integrity and accountability. And then my second biggest core value is family. Is family. It still is to this day. I love my family inside and outside of the business. And I treat everyone as if they were my future son or daughter. Uh, I don't have kids yet, nor am I married. But like I treat everyone like a parent, a guardian, a therapist, um, a mom, whoever I am. I want them to feel like they are a part of something, like they belong here. It doesn't matter what kind of personality they have, if they're extroverted, introverted, that they are a part of our family here in EQ and you have a place where you belong. Because it's really hard to find that sometimes, a place where you feel like you belong. And I made sure that every student on my team made sure that they felt like they belonged somewhere. So good right there, Kristen. That was really, really, really compelling what you just shared. The the idea of leading from your core values, first one being integrity and accountability. You you described integrity with the words doing what you say you're going to do, right? That's so important. When you do that, people become comfortable with you. They trust you. They know what to expect. They feel more certainty being around someone who exhibits that, that trait. And then what you just described is key is that what you communicate to people very clearly is that that's how it works here. We do what we say we're going to do. We follow through. We are accountable to our goals. And people either rise to that or they exit. They go somewhere else. And more people will rise because you're inspiring them right, to want to do that. You're inspiring them to want to be great. You're setting a good example for them. That's so powerful. And then the family piece really ties it all together, right? People feeling like they have a place, right? One of my past podcast guests one time said, you know what I loved most about being in Vector was that Vector was a place where you could be who you are and you could still fit in. doesn't matter, you know, what type of person you were, what whatever personality traits or anything like that. You could be your own self and there was going to be a place for you. 
and you're giving people that feeling so that they want to be around you so that I'm sure you have people who are succeeding at high levels. I'm sure you have also people who are just kind of like plodding along consistent, but not necessarily great, but they are part of your team and they feel a part of it and they want to stay around because they're contributing to something and they feel like they have that place. That's so cool, Kristen, like just really great stuff. Thank you. Yeah, I love that. Anything else that you feel like have been your biggest keys to the success in in 2020 before we talk a little bit about what's going on right now for you? Yeah, I mean, there's so much that I feel like contributed to a very strong year. And I had to learn how to trust my people and work through them. That was something that I had a really hard time with. Because as a new manager, you want to do everything yourself. You want to build something and you want to make sure that it's done properly. It's done the right way. But then I sacrificed my development, which was I had to make it a priority because it had never been a priority in the past if I had that type of mindset. So letting loose on the reins a little bit. like I, I recently added in December of last year, a third core value to my two main core values, which was developing a strong lifestyle for myself and having a lifestyle where the cool thing about Cutco is you get to create whatever you want. You know, no one's telling you this is how you should run a business. Yeah, we have standards, we have sales goals. I get it. There's a quota, all that fun stuff. But nobody is telling you how to promote someone or what their title should be or what their standard should be, except for you. It is your business. It is your organization. And I knew that if I worked consistently the way that I did, and there's nothing wrong with hard work and grit and grinding, like, but if I did that consistently, I wasn't creating a lifestyle that I was promoting to other people, which definitely doesn't reflect my biggest core value of integrity because it makes me a hypocrite. Right. Yeah. And so I had to practice what I preached by enjoying the life I wanted to live, which meant I had to let go. I had to Mm. let go a little bit in the fall of parts of the business that I didn't necessarily have to be a part of. For example, like our minimum profit program and maybe running less interviews. You know what I mean? Like those little things allowed me more time to give myself energy so that when I was here, I was showing up the best version of myself. And that was such a hard lesson to learn last year because I was so used to being a branch, grinding for four uh, months and then going back to school. You know, when I started the fall, I was like, if I keep going at this speed, I am going to burn out and it's not going to be pretty. My team is not going to respect me. They're not going to to be bought into me. They're going to see this tired, like, you know, manager who doesn't want to be there. And I really wanted to be here. I wanted it. So I wanted to show up the best version of myself and and trusting my people was a big part of that. That's excellent. So you you really busted your butt throughout the summer to be able to have development that you could, you know, pass some of the duties over to and then you gave them a chance to take on those duties. I just I feel like that's part of part of what we all have to learn to do is if we want to grow a big business is you got to develop other people and you got to Give them the chance to do their thing, train them as best as you can, prepare them as best as you can, and then let them go and let them do their thing. That's part of being able to have that lifestyle. And it's a good reminder for people that we're all working so that we can live. It's not the other way around. We don't live to work. The hustle and grind mentality is certainly good for people in a short spell at something new, but in the long run, it's not, right? And so uh, you being able to have the kind of lifestyle you want is a key part of long-term success. You just broke the record, the company record for the month of February for new business. Greatest new business month in the history of Vector. It's pretty crazy to think about. And as we're recording, as I mentioned earlier, you were number one in the nation here this past week. What's hot in Eastern Queens right now? Honestly, I know I talk about recruiting so much, but God, recruiting. (laughs) It makes so much sense. Like, I don't think people understand that this is not a typical vector spring or a typical vector summer. Like they're like the students there. If you're treating it like everyone's in school and in class and they have no free time whatsoever to do demos, you are simply just doing your job wrong. Like, what are you thinking? Like, I don't understand because I have kids right now who are doing 40 demos in a week around 18 credits. 
and they're having 10K fast starters. We just had three of them in the last 45 days. Do 40 demos around 18 credits of school in college. If I tried to do that when I was an NYU student, oh my God, I would probably fail all my classes. But this is a, such a different time. And so taking advantage of the fact that students can do more than what they say they can do, like you have to show them that it's possible. Like if I didn't sit down with those people and say, hey, instead of spending this day scrolling through TikToks and you know watching Netflix and binge watching Bridgerton or whatever, like take the time and go do some demos. Like you will hit your goal, you will be happy and you'll start the summer at Dirty 30 and then you can take all the free time you want this summer to have a great time and work part-time and still earn full-time income. It all ties into the summer. I'm not just talking about a campaign. I'm talking about the next like year of your life with me. Like for a sacrifice of working really hard right now, you know? Yeah. So <laughs> it's crazy. And it's like, like they can do so much more than we think we can do and, or that they think that they can do. And when you're asking the right questions to yourself, you're attracting really hardworking people into your organization who want to do that anyway. They were planning on playing a sport. They were planning on being a part of a musical. They were planning on being a part of XYZ club. They were planning on doing these things. They're not available anymore. What are you going to do instead? earn money, get valuable experience. And if someone is not showing up to my organization, it is my fault because am I what I want my people to be? Are people having fun and are they making money? Are they learning or and they're growing? And do they feel like they're a part of something that other people want to be a part of? And if all of those questions, check, 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 they have no problem sticking around for a long period of time because what else is there to do? Yeah, exactly. It sounds so simple when you say it, yet you're so great at just painting the vision and enrolling people and getting people excited. I'm fired up just listening to you talk, and I'm sure that that's how people feel being around you. They're excited to take on the challenge and to do the things that you're asking them to do. And uh, it's clear that you're such a great inspiration to people, Kristen. I heard you're doing something in particular with LinkedIn for getting recruits. Is there something there that uh, people could hear about? Yeah, very similar to Instagram. I took the Instagram program of collecting handles for the summer and just brought it to LinkedIn. It is a professional network. People are used to being reached out to, unlike Instagram, where it's a lot of promotions and people can block you or they ignore the message. It goes in a wrong place. Like Instagram is amazing and I still use it. It's amazing. Like nothing against the program. It is still fantastic. A reason why we have wonderful recruits. But if you could duplicate it in other social media networks, why wouldn't you? And LinkedIn, it's known for being able to network yourself with top professionals. So I tie this into all of my assistant managers. I help develop their resumes. I help make sure that all of their profiles are public on LinkedIn, that they have strong headshots. I did a headshot work exercise the other day. Everyone came to my home. I took pictures of them, edited them, uploaded them on, on LinkedIn. And their LinkedIn profiles are stunning. Like, all of our core values are listed. My website is listed. Their resume experience is updated. Their skills are sponsored or endorsed by other people. I'm writing them letters of recommendation on their LinkedIn profiles. And when people see that an 18-year-old student from St. John's University right here in Queens or a 19-year-old student from NYIT right here in Brooklyn or Manhattan or whatever has this profile and works for this organization, it makes it so much easier to recruit them into, the, into our, our business. Because they want their profiles to look the same. And it's the same thing. Instagram is a little bit more laid back. You know, you get the more personal side of things. But then on LinkedIn, you get the professional side. If you can get both, magical. Love it. Awesome stuff. That's so great for people to implement. What are some of your current goals and aspirations, Kristen? So currently, my biggest focus is on taking advantage of the summer of 2021. And I say taking advantage because I know for a fact, I could feel it in my gut, in my heart, in my soul, that it's going to be an explosive recruiting summer. That whatever internship or whatever, like the deadline has passed, whatever people have going on, it may not be there. Maybe by the summer, maybe things aren't open. Maybe things go revert back to hopefully not, you know, knock on wood <laughs> to the way they were maybe a couple of months ago. Regardless, I know for a fact that it's going to be an explosive recruiting summer. So my goal for the year is mission 1000 recruits. And I think so far we're just under, I think 300, if I'm not incorrect. So for the summer, I'm going after mission 500 recruits. And last summer, I think wow. we did 306. Yeah. I want 500 recruits this summer, uh, which is a scary goal. But like I said before, if your goals don't scare you, they are definitely not big enough to grow or change you. So. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's going to be exciting to see what you produce 
as I said, you, you're so inspirational and you're just so good at getting people to want to be on your bus that uh, you're and you, and you have a big, huge recruiting opportunity there in the EQ. It's going to be amazing to see what happens. And then once you get all those people onto your team, it's clear that you're doing great work to help them succeed, that you're inspiring them to set goals and to do well, take on all the challenges that you've described, develop that accountability to their goals. You're making them feel like they're part of the family. The success that's going to come out of your organization in the years ahead is going to be really, really, really amazing. And uh, it's clear to see why, you know, after getting to know you here today. Hey, as you uh, look into the future and you think about our podcast theme is changing lives, right? As you look into the future, how do you aspire to change people's lives through what you do? I know what Vector has done for me. And I know that it has changed my life forever. Okay. I, I, like wherever Vector takes me in the next 10, 20, 30 years of my life, like it has changed me forever. And I started this job at 17 years old as a high school graduate. And if I didn't meet the people that I did at the time that I started, I don't think I would be where I am today. So passionate about what I do. And so oftentimes I meet 17, 18, 19 year olds who don't have a lot of mentorship or leadership in their life. And we pick up where a teacher or a parent or a guardian leaves off, in my opinion. And we nurture them as if they were our own. I have strong relationships with my people. Like it feels like they are part of my family, my own. So I want to lead as a great female manager for the women in my organization, but just a great leader in general for everyone in my organization to make sure that they understand what it takes to be a great leader, which isn't something miraculous that just flips on overnight, but it is an adjective, like I said, uh, of something that is moving constantly and changing every single day that we can keep working on. And I don't think a lot of people have people that believe in them as much as we do, that show them that there is a way that there we, we are blazing a trail for them to become great leaders. And not a lot of people are showing them that that's possible, but in the spirit of Vector, anything is possible. Indeed. Well, that was uh, some great last inspiration you provided right there. Uh, this has been really awesome, Chris, and it's been great to get to know you. It's been amazing to hear your story and your lessons. Your enthusiasm is contagious. And uh, I, I just, I'm really, really excited to be able to see what, what comes of you and your organization here in 2021 and beyond. And I'm very grateful to have had you here on the podcast. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. All right. There you have it, everyone. Kristen Alley. Wow, that was awesome. I just want to say that one of my favorite things about doing this podcast over the past couple of years has been being able to get to know people at a much deeper level throughout Vector that I don't really have a chance to get to know and get to talk to this deeply with. It's so awesome to have been able to do that many times. And in this particular case with Kristen, we had never met, like actually met and spoken like this. So this was just a great opportunity for me to get to know somebody who is an incredible young leader, so powerful. And I was also really struck by the similarities that Kristen and I have in our stories, being 17 years old when we started right out of high school, immigrant parent background, demanding academic life before Vector. And then so many other philosophies that she shared that really resonated for me as she went along. It was interesting to hear her say that she went looking for Vector in places that weren't Vector and that she wasn't finding the culture that we offer. And it's just such a good reminder that the grass is greenest where you water it, as she said. And that all of you that are here, if you are here, have something great in your hands right now to really make the most of. And I want to encourage you to do that if you're here. And if you're not here, make the most of where you're at, right? The grass is greenest where you water it. And so bring vector culture and vector energy to where you are. Kristen referenced that when she started, she had some struggles, which is normal for almost every new district manager that starts in this business. And she even had some of those thoughts of, did I make the wrong choice? But her faith had to be stronger than her fear. 
And that is such a great lesson for anyone new as a district manager, new as an entrepreneur, or new in any area of life where you will naturally struggle at first. What she had to do is she had to figure out who she was, what were her core values, and bring those strengths to the table so that the people that resonated with her and her strengths and her values would be attracted to the organization, to her team, right? The idea of integrity and accountability, right? That family atmosphere. She tried to bring more of those things through her recruiting efforts and her development efforts to all of her people. The people that resonated stuck around. They began building. They began building more and more and more. All of a sudden, she had a right-hand person. Then she had a staff. And lo and behold, the year wound up with this amazing result over $1 million in sales her very first year as a district manager. And the future is going to be even greater. It is obvious just listening to her that amazing things are going to happen for her and her team in 2021 and beyond. I'm looking forward to, to seeing it, to witnessing it from afar. Envious, Mr. Earl Kelly that you have such an amazing individual on your team. You know, wish I had more of her all throughout uh, Vector in, in every one of our regions. If we could have more Kristen Alleys, it would be amazing. And of course, we're working on developing more and more. We have so many great young leaders in Cutco Vector and working on creating more and more as we go along. That's how we can change lives, by creating more leaders like us. Hope you enjoyed this one today, everybody. Thanks, Kristen Alley. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's episode, please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. Subscribing to the podcast is free and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. And to support our podcast sponsors, visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives.